what is it that takes you from a, a sense of peace and tranquility to a place of defensiveness? What, what, what triggers you to be on alert? Criticism, fear. What puts us on guard? I mean, for some people, for some people, it's a uh, it's an emotion. Some for some people, it might be a place. I mean, you walk in the place and you just find yourself tensing up. For some people, from for some people, it might be a person, and you, you just walk away, going, "There's just something not right." I'd like, to, uh, I'd like to share a story that happened. It actually happened in our local school system. And uh, to my knowledge, it didn't make the news. It happened this week. Uh, this, this week in, uh, in one of the local, uh, it was a middle school. There was a man that, um, that was... Uh, that made it to the to the middle of the school building, and uh, and what was what was noteworthy was uh, wasn't escorted by anyone, did not have the proper um, they most of the schools use uh, um, yellow stickers you know and you, you have to check in didn't have the sticker on, and um, when it was first spotted um, uh, was stooping over and getting water at the water fountain there. Uh, this is a few minutes after the building had opened and there are students in the, in the, in the, in the building and it's before the first bell rings for, uh, for, for homeroom. Gets up from the, uh, from the water fountain and exactly on cue, things begin to start happening like they should. And so t- two teachers who've spotted this person... Um, go uh, down and stand in front of them, sort of, you know, uh, address them. And they, they ask, uh, you know, sir, what are you doing here? And who are you? And, uh, and they make note of, you know, some of the things that I've mentioned. And um, I'm thankful it didn't make the news because I was the man. <clears throat> And they said, who are you and what are you doing here? And I, um, at, they were very respectful, very polite. Let me, let me just repeat that throughout this the retelling of this story. Um, and I responded equally respectful and polite. I said, I understand. Uh, I'm here to speak at prayer club this morning in the media center. And um, no... No wavering in the face. And, and they were like, well, you don't have a, a sticker on it. And I was like, yeah, that's right. Um, and they were like, and, and um, you know, uh, you didn't have anybody escorting you. That's, that's, that's also correct. Well, how would you get in? And I said, well, I, I did come through the front office. And they were like, but you still don't have a sticker on it. And I was like, yes, I'm Miss Hagen's husband. <clears throat> and they said, oh, okay. Um, <clears throat> I had the sense that they were going to do some like kind of television martial arts on me, and uh, which 
respect, they would have probably won. Um, the, the additional thing they noted that caused suspicion, they, and they told me this, is that as I walked up to the water fountain, I was whistling. <clears throat> and they thought that was out of character. And that anybody whistling without a name tag on, without an or- escort, surely was not in the right place in a middle school. And, uh, and, and, and to, 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 to round out the story, because I know there's some folks here that have friends in the central office, um, uh, I, was sup- I, I was admitted access to the building, but I was supposed to be in the media center, which is up front in the way the middle school footprint is, I think, for, for practically every middle school um, in, uh, in Houston County. And the media center is up front, and I was supposed to be in the media center, and, and I was going to be speaking at prayer club. All this is accurate. Connor and Charity and I and a, and a host of other preachers and, and youth ministers get to speak at prayer club. It's a, it's a privilege. And, uh, and it was happening in just a few minutes, and I was thirsty, and I knew I needed some water. And so I walked about 50 feet out, and that's when they spotted me, and I give them all the credit. They did everything right. And I'm certain of that because in that moment, while they're confronting me, the reasons they are on guard are walking all beside me. We are on guard when there is something worth guarding. We are defensive when there is something worth defending. And they did exactly right. They did exactly right. What is it that is worth defending in our, in our lives? And is there anything more important and precious than our souls? Which is, which is the direction I believe that our scripture takes this morning. But it's, but it's worth it's worth pointing out that it's not a direction that most of us probably saw coming. The first five chapters of, the, of, of 1 John, which we've been reading through um, now through, uh, from the beginning of October, the first five fa- chapters of 1 John have offered us certainty, right? I mean, the devotional book that classes and groups and individuals in the church have used and that I've sort of been referencing and preaching from is this is how we know, which is just another way of saying this is how we can be certain in a world that is not certain. This is how we can be sure in a world that is not sure. This is how we can have assurance in a world that is chaotic. This is how we know. And this is what First John is trying to do. And he's trying to offer it in, in opposition to the false teachers that had come into the church Church, which are still out in the world that would tell us that no, oh no, you can, you can dilute this and you can change this and First and John says no, you can be certain that you are children of God and that you are in the right path that God has you on and, and, and then First John goes one step further to say and, and this is the way you can be certain and it is that you don't stop with the first half of the gospel that Jesus died for us and forgave our sins, that you continue with the second half of the gospel, which is summarized, of course, in in 1 John 3.16, which says, because Christ has given His life for us, we must give our life for others. 
And, it, and it's fabulous, and it, and, it, and, it, and, it, and, it, and it fits perfectly in line with the larger work of, of, of all of the writings of John and the community of John. So you've got, you've got the Gospel of John, you've got this first John, then later on you've got you know, second, the letter of John and the third letter of John. And taken all together, they, 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 they are written so seamlessly and their language is so common and their words are, are, uh, are, are, are so thematically uh, uh, unified until you get to the very last verse of the letter we've been studying and all of a sudden out of nowhere John offers this word of warning about something that isn't mentioned anywhere else in all the letters of John in the gospel of John taken together nowhere else is this word of warning offered and yet it seems significant 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. And then, and then without trying to be fake cool or anything like that, John just drops the microphone. I mean, if you've got your, if you've got your Bible open... That's the end of the letter. Other New Testament letters say, uh, greet the saints. Other New Testament letters say, say be sure to speak to, um, to my friend, and he, and he calls her by name, or, or be speak, to, speak to this, you know, this person and, and maybe have them stop quarreling. Other New Testament letters end with it, grace and peace and mercy, or love of God be with you. Many New Testament letters end with like a prayer, and 1 John says, none of that. This. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. This matters to John. But it begs the question, but it begs the question, what is idolatry? So I, I, I took a shot at defining it, and this is, this is what I've got for us. Idolatry, the sin of replacing the real with the pseudo, of choosing the false over the true. It's caused by a disordered heart that seeks something other than God as provider of ultimate fulfillment and joy in our lives. Idolatry is, is this reshuffling of the deck. Idolatry is, is, is literally rearranging things and elevating this and lowering this and saying, and saying that, that I know that this throne is to be occupied by the one true real thing. But I'm going to take that off the throne and I'm going to put the pseudo false thing in its place. And this is idolatry. And John says that we are to guard our hearts from it. Now, as, I, um, as, as I've been trying to get my head around this, this New Testament approach to idolatry, I've, I've determined that, that, that I want to spend a couple of weeks uh, ad addressing it, and then I'm going to take it in half if that's, if that's possible. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to deal with, um, with sort of the negative aspects 
of idolatry, and then I'd like to deal with some of the, um, you know, the, the, the positive responses to idolatry, which is another way of saying it is I want to deal today with, with sort of the defense of being on guard, and then next week some of the offense of being on guard. But before I, I, I go any further with that, I want us to turn in the scriptures to what I consider to be the most significant, I don't know how you put it, it's not popular, but maybe the most well-known story of idolatry that all of the Bible offers for us. And it comes to us from Exodus chapter 32. So you, if you turn in your Bibles with me to, uh, to the second book of the Bible, uh, the book of the Exodus, uh, and then turn back to Exodus chapter 32. In just a moment, I want to, um, I want to tell this story, but it's, but it's worth pausing to say that of all of the stories in the Scriptures... After the resurrection of Jesus Christ, of all, this, of, of all the moments in history, after the Easter weekend when Christ was crucified, dead, and buried, and rose from the dead, after that moment, the story of the Exodus is as great a story as we've ever heard, where, where God puts his power and his might on display and he he releases his people from bondage and slavery under pharaoh and frees them and 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 shows them a better way and and offers them to fulfill the promises he's been making and in the midst of all the good that's happening in the exodus like what freedom (laughs) and fulfillment and hope and promise In the midst of all that story, we get this from Exodus chapter 32. The people saw that Moses was taking a long time to come down from the mountain that we know as Sinai. They gathered around Aaron. Anybody, you know who Aaron is? Who's Aaron? Brother of Moses, right? There was Moses and a brother Aaron and a sister named Miriam. Miriam, my mom thanks you for remembering her name. Um, uh, There was Miriam, Moses, and Aaron, the three of them, and they were at various points leaders in this movement and work of God to rescue the people. It says, so Moses is on the mountain and he was taking a long time to come down, so the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, come on. Make us gods who can lead us. As for this man Moses, who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't have a clue what has happened to him. Verse 2 says, Aaron said to them, No way, I would never do that. It's not what Aaron said. All right. Take out the gold rings from the ears of your wives your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took out the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He collected them and tied them up in a cloth. Then he made a metal image of a bull calf, and the people declared, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So this seems to be, in verse uh, 4 there, this seems to be the people speaking to themselves. Says the people declared, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, 
He built an altar in front of the calf. Then Aaron announced, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. They got up early the next day and offered an entirely offered up entirely burnt offerings and brought well-being sacrifices the people sat down to eat and drink and then got up to celebrate this is the word of god for we the people of god and we say together thanks be to god we are indeed thankful that in the midst of the scriptures god gives us the examples that we are to follow And then here, the examples that we are not to follow. This is the negative story. This this is the counter direction. This is what we are not to do. And what's fascinating is is that they, they knew of the power of God. There in the middle of verse 4, it says, it says, it says, The God who brought us up out of Egypt. That God. We've now made this little image, and this image represents Him. It's it's not that they had forgotten what God had done. It's not that they didn't any any longer believe in the power of God. It's just that they... they, Well, verse 1 tells us they got tired of waiting. I don't don't know that I've ever come to appreciate that one of the low points in all of history, one of the the, the rock-bottom moments in all of the biblical narrative, one of the moments of the great sin that you and I are directed towards happened because of boredom. Show me, show us verse one one more time of, of, of Exodus 32. The people saw that Moses was taking a long time. Who knew that there's a correlation between idolatry and boredom who knew that waiting could lead to devastation and if you keep reading in verse 7 through the end of the chapter it's devastation that came 3,000 people wiped out before the page even turns because God up on the mountain with Moses knows what they're doing down on the ground with Aaron. Who knew that sin correlates with boredom and waiting and impatience, which begs the question, when I'm bored, where do I go? When you grow impatient, what do you do?
some folks look right here. And they do this. And the thing is, I could, uh, I could slide from one article and post and tweet and snap and photo to another for 30 more minutes. And I wouldn't touch the amount of time some people in this room spend doing this right here in one sitting. Some people, when they're bored, they just, they just do this. What are they looking at? Some, some people, when they're bored, some people, when they're bored, turn and it's, uh, it's pervasive, it's massive. It's got an, it's a billion dollar industry. Some people, and, and, and the numbers, we don't even know, the numbers are, are probably more staggering than any of us want to admit. Some people turn to pornography. Staggering its reach. But some people, some people when they're bored, they don't, they don't turn to the device in their hand. Some people turn on the car and they go someplace. Some, some, people, some people go places when they're bored. Some people go shopping when they're bored. They got extra time, they go shopping. And, and here's the thing, there, uh, a few folks in the room are going, oh my, oh my, what's he going to say next? You know, I, I hope, he's, hope he's not going to talk about Target or Hobby Lobby or Michael's, right? And I wouldn't because I like all those places, so you're in the clear. <clears throat> And, there, and there's some people in the room that are saying, oh my, now he's, now he's, and he hadn't even, I hadn't even said the word, but now he's unfairly separating out women, you know, who, who like to shop from men, you know, and, and the women in the room are going, well, this is not fair because, um, uh, you know, because uh, I go and buy stuff I need and we buy, and I buy stuff and I provide for the family or provide for myself or for our house and, you know, and I, I buy stuff when you need, you know, and th that's half the room, right? And then there's another half of the room and they're going like this, uh-huh, yeah, 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 you need to get after the women, you know, and they're shopping, right? They get bored and they just go shopping, you know, and, and they have conversations at the house and they're like, you know, you're going you're gonna to put us in debt. We're going to get upside down. We're going to be in all kind of trouble because you, uh, you've been to Target twice this month. You know, we don't have that in the budget, you know? You know? And here's the, here's the fascinating thing about the conversation between women and men when it comes to shopping, right? And, 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 you know, and, the, and the idea that, that, that two trips to Target is too many or three trips to Target is too many or, or four purchases on Amazon is too many or, or swiping the card here or there is too many. It, what the fascinating thing is, and, I, and I'm going to just step on every toe in the room that I can possibly reach, is, uh, is, that, is that women are accused of this and men are over here doing the accusing, but what men don't want to talk about is that when they get bored and go shopping, right? Their purchases can't be carried out in a little white plastic sack, right? Their purchases beep, 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 like have a trailer behind the truck, right? 
I mean, if you want to talk about people who get bored shopping and get in trouble, then pull back the curtain of the kitchen window and, and look out in the driveway and ask, did you have to have three motors on the back of the boat, honey, or just two? Would two have been enough? What is it that we do when we're bored? Where is it that we go when we're bored? And have any of us ever considered that, that like the people of God back then, we are possibly most susceptible to the sin of idolatry, which, which says that we are taking something from down here and placing it up here out of order. Because we think that if we reorder it, it'll somehow bring us the fulfillment that we haven't gotten otherwise. Or, or to follow the biblical story, that we haven't gotten fast enough. We were tired of waiting on God to tell us what God wanted to tell us. And we grew impatient. And so we made a golden calf. It's worth saying, and I haven't said this at the previous two services, this is important to say. The boat's not bad. Nor nor is the sheiky thing that goes on the mantle, right, that matches up with the sconce. That's not bad on the list. until you move everything else and make that somehow most important. That is idolatry. Listen, listen to the story. The jewelry was not bad until they did what with it? Made a calf out of it and said, this now represents the actual true God that saved us. Paul says this in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, if you were raised with Christ, Look for the things that are above where Christ is sitting at God's right side. Think about the things above and not the things on earth. You get the sense that he's, he's offering a sense of priority. It, it, focus on the things up at the top and don't confuse the things that are here on the bottom as needing to be on the top. You die and your life is hidden with Christ in God when Christ who is your life, is, re- is revealed. Notice, he's saying, it hadn't happened yet, but what do we have to do, church? We have to wait. And not grow impatient. Then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. And then this is where He devastates us. Verse 5, So put to death the parts of your life that belong to the earth. And he offers this list, and we're, and we're running through the list, and we're like, yep, that's bad, that's bad, that's bad. Sexual immorality, moral corruption, bad, bad. Lust, bad. Evil desire, bad. And greed, oh yeah, that's bad. Oh my, 
Hold on, what does he say? Greed, which is idolatry. I, and, I, and I've read some people that say that, that the first John chapter 5, verse 21, guard yourselves against idols, that, that that's one of the few references to idols in the New Testament because, you ready for this? I've read this, that, 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 that the New Testament church, which is what we are, the New Testament church doesn't have problems with idolatry nearly as much as the Old Testament church did, and therefore, since the New Testament didn't talk about it as much, that we're, we've got to pass because idolatry isn't a problem for us. That's what, I, that's what I've read people and I just smirk and go, really? Paul doesn't think so. John doesn't think so. See, I mean, greed, which is idolatry. Wanting the thing you do not have or coveting the thing that they have and you do not have is elevating Above its place on the list and replacing God with that which is pseudo and false and not real. And then, if we needed a reminder of how bad idolatry can be, the next verse says. The wrath of God is coming upon disobedient people because of these things. Idolatry makes the list. To me, this sounds like the very thing I want to avoid. So here's the plan. Guard your heart. Boredom and impatience can lead to destruction. The first half of guarding my heart and my soul from idols is playing defense. When I'm waiting on God to answer to respond, to guide me, when I'm waiting on God to move, that's when I'm most susceptible. That's when I need to be most aware of where my tendencies are and where I would go and not let anything replace God as number one in my life. And next week we'll talk about Going on the offensive. Let's pray. Gracious God. You know our hearts. And you know our tendencies. And, and you know where we have gotten it right and where we have gotten it wrong. And we come before you confessing 
that like the people throughout the ages, we have allowed boredom and impatience and even frustration with your sense of timing, O God, to lead us to do and say and even purchase and go to the very places that you would not have us to go. And we've suffered the consequences. And yet some of us still haven't learned our lessons. Gracious God, free us from the bondage and the slavery and the oppression that comes from placing anything else on the throne but you. This is our prayer. We ask it in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen and amen.